join us in the dustiest corners of the video store, the back row of the grindhouse, the furthest regions of celluloid. This is Video Store Nightmares. Hello and welcome back to Video Store Nightmares, the podcast where we discuss the strange, the bizarre, and the lecherous films of the VHS era. Tonight, we are talking about a later Lucio Fulci movie, but I, I am glad we're, we're finally getting to him. Um, we're talking about 1988's Touch of Death. My name is Luke, and I'm joined by Leland. Listeners, you can find 1988's Touch of Death on YouTube for rent, but also for free. But it has an awful English dub that you have to put up with. Um, alternatively, you can also rent it on Amazon for about the cost of half a gallon of gas. And it is subtitled. So before we start to talk about this movie, I think we should put it in the context of Fulci's career because I think that has a lot of influence on the film. So usually when people talk about Lucio Fulci, they're thinking of his gore heyday in the in the first half of the 80s. So he had a string of movies, um, actually Contraband, which is a really great action crime flick, uh, and Zombie came out the same year, then City of the Living Dead, then The Black Cat, then The Beyond, then House by the Cemetery, then The New York Ripper, then Manhattan Baby, and then his fantasy film Conquest. That was all between 1979 and 1983. So that's a really impressive run of films. Like, how, how experienced are you with Fulci? I think I've seen about a quarter of those. And what do you think about him? I enjoyed most of those, from what I remember. Um, I, I think I've seen two films from, I guess what you'd call the twilight of his career. This one... And gosh, I can't remember the title it escapes me, but it's about a hospital bed bound woman who is seeking revenge by essentially astral projecting herself to murder her victims. Uh, I think that's Enigma. Yes, that is Enigma. Okay. So yeah, that is one of his later films. So, but what fascinates me about I guess his his wonder years is that first of all I think a lot of this is due to really strong composers he worked with like Fabio Frizzi and really impressive gore effects but those movies have a an atmosphere and a mood and a sort of dream logic to them as well as really just great special effects and really um, weird creative scenes like the fight between the zombie and the shark and zombie like I think those films they're not perfectly constructed films but I really like them so then skipping ahead a couple years Fulci starts to make zombie 3 and 
he has some sort of health crisis in the middle of the film. I can't remember what exactly happened to him. It might have been a heart attack, but he, the the two two other directors finished that movie. Claudio Fergasso, who we talked about when we did Night Killer, and Bruno Mattei, who we have not talked about before, but he directed a lot of really schlocky ripoffs of American movies. Like he did shocking dark, the unofficial Terminator sequel. And zombie three is a mess. Have you ever tried to watch it? It's on my list, but not yet. It's not a totally bad film, but it's kind of a mess. Anyway, after that, Partly due to Fulci's health and partly due to just the market at the time, film opportunities started to dry up for him. And by the way, if you're interested in this, Stephen Thrower has a book called Beyond Terror, the films of Lucio Fulci, which I, I really recommend. It's very long, and but very comprehensive. And during this period, the, the market was shifting, like big, really big budgeted horror films that were somewhat family friendly, like Poltergeist, for example, had been succeeding at the box office. And that suggested that the markets could turn away from the sort of exploitative schlocky films that Fulci used to make and instead towards more mainstream horror attempts. And so Fulci really got relegated to making very low budget pictures and made for TV movies. And he entered a production deal where he would fund or put his name on, I think it was six movies. He would direct some of them and the others would be directed by other people. And it was going to be like a series of uh, quick theatrical releases that were low budget and so they'd really bank money this movie we're talking about tonight touch of death was one of those movies and it actually never made it to theaters it, it aired on italian tv if you can believe it can you imagine watching this on tv in america in america no it would never happen well you... wait hmm maybe in today's america it would be possible it's not like there. Well, you'd have to like you know cut some nudity here and there, but everything else would probably fly. I mean, the gore is on, pretty. Yeah, just just put it on FX. The gore is pretty extreme. Yeah, but like look at The Walking Dead, like stuff on AMC. Yeah, There's tons of gore and stuff in that. I mean, maybe you'd have to tone it down a little bit, but you can I get think... away with it. I think the gore here, though, shot uh, packs in, in a completely different punch than the CGI gore. Like, there's just a difference. I, I don't know if everyone would attribute it to that, but it feels so much rougher and meaner and more substantial. Not all modern gore is CGI. Um, I think a lot of, of production companies are straying away from CGI blood now just because it just doesn't look good. It doesn't look good at all. No. But just to throw out two other details about the film. So it was um, parts of it. The gore scenes were edited into A Cat in the Brain, uh, Fulci's pseudo autobiographical film, which a lot of people are fans of that one. Um, but they don't know where the gore scenes come from because they haven't seen these lesser Fulci's. Um, and then the second thing I'd say is Fulci's last movie was going to be a movie called The Wax Mask. 
that he ended up dying before it could be finished. But I highly recommend people watch that. I think it's a, a really good flick. And maybe we'll do it one day on the podcast. But nobody nobody thinks about that as being connected to Fulci, but you should really watch it. It's If you like Fulci, I think you'll like that. All right, let's get back to Touch of Death. So the main character is actually played by an American actor. Um, what is his name? Brett Hale, Halsley? Halsey? Yeah. Brett Halsey? Yeah. So what did you think of his performance? <laughs> Brett, so we got to look at the character that he's playing, right? Lester. <laughs> oh, Lester. When this movie starts out, if you don't know what you're getting into, it opens up just like you would expect any um just about any italian horror like we'll say murder film would start right where it introduces the uh you know sociopath of the month the you know the character exhibition starts and it presents this guy as being well put together right yeah he's got like he's dressed you know nice he's got a great house he's cooking with style with like this little fucking skillet and steak and he feeds a little to his cat and then he watches a like a porn film on TV while eating <laughs> and then goes downstairs and chainsaws a, a corpse uh, into pieces. And when you look at that, you know, the actor does a great job. And what subverts expectations in this film is that this is about the only time you see this guy actually do something right. Everything else, this guy is just constantly failing. And uh, Brett kind of looks like someone who has it together for the most part. So it's kind of weird seeing him stumble so many times. But I think that's probably part of the film, right? Part yeah, I think I think part of the purpose is to show that he's he's a he's a very outwardly fake superficial person he he has managed to create an image of success and sophistication but it's it's just that an image it's it's not it, when it really comes down to him actually doing something he's a total failure at everything it's really incredible he's gotten this far uh, it, indeed it is um and that's why he has to rob these women uh, so if you have not seen the film, basically he's seducing all of these women who have money and robbing them after he kills them. And that's how he's sustaining his lifestyle. That's why he has to resort to this, I think, is because he has no real skill. And he's terrible with money. Absolutely terrible. As, yeah. as far as we can tell, his, he has no job and his main hobby is betting on horses which they make it seem like it's illegal in Italy for some reason. I think it is. That is strange because the whole purpose of horse racing is to bet, right? Yeah, but I think I think the sort of gambling we have in the United States is illegal in most of Europe. I, I would I would have to do research to confirm that, but I think I, I think that's the case. Anyway, he's really terrible at it. Absolutely terrible. Which means he constantly needs to have a fresh supply of bachelorette widows with big coffers behind him. So I think that there are some things I think he does well. First of all, it's hard to tell because we're not hearing his actual voice. I assume that he was speaking English on set 
and that he was dubbed in Italian for the Italian version, and a different English actor dubbed him for the English version. So it's hard to tell how good he is without hearing his voice. Not that it's probably going to matter, but I ended up watching the, the, the subtitled. Luke ended up watching the dub. Yeah, I've watched the subtitled in the past. The dub was... It, the only part that where the dub got really bad to me, because for the first 20 minutes or so, I thought, ah, it's not that bad. Like, they actually did a fairly decent job. The words don't match the mouths, but, like, the, the voices match the people and all good. Um, then I heard Lester laugh for the first time. And when Lester laughs in the dub, it sounds as if, like, Pee Wee Herman is laughing it sounds like what what siri on the iphone would say peewee herman sounded like that's what it sounds like but the the other thing i was going to say about his performance is that he goes above and beyond to make it clear that you're watching a comedy and that annoys me like I, th I actually do think this movie's really funny. I laughed a lot, but it's it, it, it's despite of him, not because of him. You don't really have that issue with the uh, with the regular Italian audio. It's played completely straight from what I can tell. Well, he still does things like he dances around and he is always playing ironic music and like there there's behaviors he has that make him very absurd. Are we are we putting this at the feet of the actor or the character? I it's hard to tell. It, whatever the case, it is interesting to note this is the only movie Fulci ever made that he wrote entirely himself. So I don't know what that says about his writing or how well he wrote a screenplay, like how detailed it was. I, I don't know. Anyway, let's play the trailer and then we'll go through some of the plot. And now for a look at the local news. Rubbish collectors on the north side had an unpleasant surprise this morning when one of the containers they were collecting proved to be holding the remnants of a local woman who apparently had been mutilated and dismembered with a power saw. Good morning. What the hell are you doing here? Uh, well, I slept in here. It's a lot quieter than that building site, and uh, nobody wakes you up getting rid of uh, dead bodies. Oh. 
So that trailer was clearly made in like the early 2000s. And that was probably the worst trailer we have ever had on this uh, on this podcast. Well, as far as I know, this movie did not get a release in the United States at all until a few years ago. So um, it probably was never advertised here. But because we heard this in the trailer, I want to start by asking you about it. We get a lot of the information in this movie from news, either on the TV or on the radio. How much of that do you think is real and how much is Lester imagining? That's a great question. I found myself constantly wondering what was real. And I, I think I came to the conclusion that his horrible betting habits were real. The widows are real. And maybe the homeless person was real. Maybe. And there's a lot of other things that uh, might have just been like manifested. Lester is not a healthy guy. He uh, He's clearly got some kind of schizophrenia. Yeah, and that becomes more clear as the movie goes on. And I actually think this is the part of the movie that's the least clear. It's it's probably the most poorly written part is like what exactly is going on with him because he there are times he's trying to find his shadow because he can't see it. And there's like maybe the shadow is doing things without him. Like it almost seems like the movie is trying to suggest that he has split personalities and one personality is killing the women and the other one isn't. But I, that's not clear at all to me whether that's the case. He is pretty consistent with his character the entire time. And we see him both with and without widows throughout the runtime. Yeah, and he does this weird thing where he records himself on tape and then has conversations with his recorded self. This this is confusing to me as well. Do you think that's what was going on? I just figured the schizophrenia was speaking to him through the tape recorder. That's possible too. I was thinking that he actually went through the trouble. Like when he was one personality, he would record messages to the other personality. Because it seems like the one personality is doing stupid things like leaving a severed head out in public where people can find it. And then the other personality says things like, well, we didn't just leave any bodies laying around. And that's what is fueling that suspicion. We can also consider it maybe a supernatural angle. Maybe he's harboring some sort of like dark like entity that is intentionally sabotaging him. I mean, I think this is always the case with Fulci movies is there are things you just have to create for yourself because there's not linear storytelling um, consistently or logical storytelling. But I feel like that works in a lot of Fulci's movies because we're dealing with a supernatural situation where like in the Gates of Hell, for example, I think we're just supposed to imagine that all the rules that govern reality are kind of thrown out the window in that movie because of the influence of hell, because there's like this evil corrupting reality. But this movie seems to be based in the real world. And so I don't feel like the, the lacks in explanation help the movie or, or make sense in any way. Oh yeah. To be clear, I don't buy a supernatural angle. But um, you can consider it. I think there is enough there to make that argument. 
the the other thing that I was confused about right from the beginning, and this happened several times, is the first time we see Lester, the camera zooms in on his ear, and it lingers there for about twenty seconds. Did that stand out to you? Yeah, but think about how the shot leads up to this. Right, the movie starts as if you are seeing a point of view from someone walking onto Lester's property, right? You hear the radio with an announcer talking about the horse races. And meanwhile, you have the camera going onto the property. The front gate opens seemingly by itself, goes in. The camera actually looks around as if, um, you know, the camera is on a swivel, like for a head. And uh, until it eventually focuses on Lester, and zooms into the ear so i don't know maybe you can consider that this is like the entry of this this shadow into lester's uh story okay maybe i can buy that but when you're watching the movie it's not clear and it it made me laugh i no, mean i thought it was weird this is definitely in retrospect after having seen it right yeah well the other thing that i understand in retrospect is that Basically, what Lester is doing is he's finding wealthy, widowed women in the personals ads. He's making dates with them, gets to know them as much as as he gets to know them to the extent it's necessary to like gain their trust. And then he robs them, kills them and eats them. But he also makes recordings of them that he then watches after he's eaten them or while he's eating them it's it's almost like there's too many oddities and idiosyncrasies and uh mental illnesses afflicting this one character like did it feel that way to you yeah and there isn't really um there isn't really any character study here right again this is no this is just like our monthly psychopath exhibition right where we are given a slice of life of some fucked up guy or serial killer as he does his daily activities and you don't really get necessarily get an explanation we see him eating the steak at the beginning and by the way it's just a steak like he doesn't have anything else <laughs> which i found weird but when he goes downstairs to the dead body on the table, who is the woman he's been watching on the TV, you can see it's just a perfectly square cut out of her thigh. I thought that was really funny. Did I don't know if if it's me, but I'm not too big into foreign comedies. I tend to to miss out on what I think is a lot of the a lot of the humor. I don't know. I think there's probably a lot in this movie that's this lost in translation. I think that's probably true, although I think this movie's really funny. I think it's funny in the way that like Blood Diner is funny. Like or 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 the Naked Gun. It's really like slapsticky. It, it's almost like ideas left over from Mr. Bean, but with a serial killer. <laughs> like Mr. Bean uh murders a rich Harris. Right. Exactly, because you've got the same sort of like physical comedy and awkwardness. Like there's a point where he's trying to put a body in the trunk and its legs keep popping out. So finally he gets frustrated and he grabs the 
the car jack and he just chops the feet off and he's like problem solved i thought it's so ridiculous but it works for me that it, maybe i'm just a sick person but that, that kind of comedy works for me so we need to get this out of the way too all these harrises they have all they all have one thing in common besides money they're all supposed to be hideous right so one of them has like a beard and one of them has a cleft palate and one of them has like a burn scar on half her face what did you think the the purpose of this was maybe this is the rationalization for why they're going after somebody like lester i think that that is i think that's true i think that they're uniquely vulnerable and maybe they lack the self-esteem to look elsewhere but i also think it says something about lester that maybe he is not confident enough to target a quote unquote beautiful woman that it, allowing them like being able to degrade them in his mind makes him feel better about himself and maybe it makes him feel better about eating them maybe but consider that predators rarely go after the strongest prey yeah i also think this is this is what stephen thrower thinks and i've heard other people speculate that fulci was just a misogynist and you see the misogyny in films like new york ripper where women are just being brutally brutally sexually tortured and murdered and Fulci tends to, in his movies, find ways to mock and denigrate women. And I don't entirely buy this. I, I think that some of it is just that was the time period. And I think there is some justification to the idea that um, women as victims is more frightening, um, that at least there is the imagination on the part of the director that they're more sympathetic victims. But all that put aside, I do feel a little uncomfortable with the idea that Fulci is basically finding a way to mock these women. See, this is what I'm talking about. I don't, I don't necessarily think he's being disrespectful to women or that this is just like some weird, bad Italian joke. And by bad, I just mean like not culturally relevant to our sense of humor. Yeah, we really can't know. But I, I, I'll just say I do find a lot of this movie really funny. I, I laughed pretty much the whole way through. But we see him after he he kills and butchers the the women, like some of it gets ground up into like ground meat and some of it he feeds to pigs on his property. And then some he eats as like a sirloin. What did you think of all the gore effects and all the dismemberment scenes? It really made me question why this movie was made and who was it made for? Because what kind of comedy needs a level of gore that involves a woman getting bludgeoned so hard her eye pops out rolls across the floor and stares into the camera apparently fulci really wanted to make comedies and he did he made early in his career before he started making horror movies he made some like sex comedies and Cat in the Brain is is pretty comedic, um, but he wanted this to be a comedy, 
but I imagine people know him and expect of him these really brutal gore scenes. And so I figured he just thought like, I do what I know how to do. But I think they're, do you think they're well done? Yeah, especially the scene I was just talking about. I think that's probably the the best one in the whole film. Happens about halfway through. Early in the movie, there is the scene where he goes into the basement with a chainsaw and just starts cutting up this corpse. And you, this is basically when you can tell this is going to be something that shouldn't be taken seriously because he's just in this nice pristine basement with like <laughs> with like a you know tables and furniture and ornament like paintings on the wall paintings everything and he's just taking this chainsaw and cutting up this woman who despite being dead for probably a long time just has it's just full of blood just nice viscous splashy blood and as he's chopping all these limbs off and making a huge mess none of it gets anywhere <laughs> he is completely spotless with his like khaki pants and you know fucking polo shirt the walls are clean and he's just kind of doing doing his thing and that's the point where you know like you're not supposed to take the next like hour 20 minutes seriously and you know there is a way in which i think he could have taken advantage of that better like there was a scene in dead alive where lionel is is mowing over the zombies with the lawnmower and he actually turns a painting around so that it won't get splashed with blood like that kind of thing could be really funny but i think when you just like pretend they aren't there that's a, that's a little bothersome it's not because it's not real, but because like you're not taking advantage of the opportunity to do something that's either going to be more realistic or funnier. It feels like this movie really needed to lean really hard one way or the other. And instead, it just sits on the fence. And I, I honestly, I feel like it doesn't really achieve either as well as it could have. Yeah, I do. I mean, I don't think this is successful as like Blood Diner is. Oh, no way. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's not as it's not as joke laden. It probably had a lower budget. It's not as it's not trying to be as comedic. I don't think it's more repetitive, which I think is a big problem for it. Um, but I, I still think it's really funny. I, I like I said I laughed all the way through. Let's talk about the most like openly comedic scene, I think, which is his evening with the the hairy woman so first off they make a they make a point of showing him getting hair in his teeth after he kisses her which i couldn't decide if that was funny or gross or offensive she does not have a full beard if you haven't seen this it's just like patches the whisper of a beard yeah but there's a scene where they're laying in bed and like having sex, but then there's this whole period where she's just laying next to him, like rolling around. And in the dub, she is enjoying this way too much, like crying out and moaning and sounds like she's orgasmic even when he's not touching her. It's very silly. Yeah, it's the same in the original. Yeah, it it was really silly, right? Yes. Do you think it, it it that that aspect was supposed to be silly? Oh yeah, for sure. Okay. To go over this scene quickly, he is trying to kill her. 
So he mixes her a poisoned drink. She drops the glass or smashes it. I can't remember which, but his expression when he sees that broken glass is wonderful. Like the dub does not do it justice, but I love his face of just really like you really did that because he doesn't want to go back in there, man. He doesn't right. want to do it. Right. So he says um, that he's going to mix her another drink. But she says that if he is, you have to drink too, so we can fly together on the wings of our love. She's constantly saying things like that. Like, I think that's supposed to be part of her character, that she says these really exuberant, ridiculous things. All these women are desperate, except for perhaps the last Harris, who actually has a, a head on her shoulders. Right. So she, he goes to, to mix her another drink, and, and he has one for himself as well. He puts both of them down and goes to get her a cigarette. And she picks up both glasses and starts to turn them around and switch them from hand to hand to make sure that they have the same level of alcohol because she doesn't want to be more drunk than him. Which I've, I found this really funny in like an ironic way. Like she's worried about the alcohol, but one of them is poisoned. But he panics because he doesn't know which glass is poisoned now. And he says, you know, but which one did I hand you? And she doesn't say it matters. So then he says, you know what? Let's not drink wine. Let's drink soda instead. And so he poisons the soda. And eventually he has to hold her nose and pour it down her th throat. And of course she runs and throws it all up. It's not just soda. It's soda water. Yeah. So he is fed up by this point. And this reminded me of like a naked gun sequence or something. He gets fed up. He gets like a club. Is that what it is? A piece of wood? He goes over to a potted plant. And so I'm not sure if the club was hidden in the plant or if he just literally ripped a trunk off of the plant to use as a club. So I'm going to try to describe this, but if you have not seen this movie, I really recommend you watch it, at least for this sequence. It needs to be seen to be believed. He chops her in the head multiple times with the, the club. And as Leland described earlier, her eye pops out and rolls across the floor. Like he really smashes her face in. But surprise, she pops up. She's still alive. And they have a chase through the house as her face is all mangled and bloody. Did you think this was funny? No. Oh, wow. This is so funny to me. What did you think of it? This is the point where I'm like, I'm trying to figure out what this movie is trying to accomplish. Like, I just don't understand how they can have such effective, violent gore in a movie that's supposed to be like a straight, I'm assuming like a straight comedy. But do, do you think it works in movies like Evil Dead 2 and Dead Alive? So... I think the problem is that perhaps those movies don't take themselves so seriously. This one feels like it, it has like deep, somber, philosophical moments where it's trying to like portray the grief, the tragedy of Lester. And because it has scenes like that, 
it just creates this bizarre dichotomy that just doesn't mix well for me. Like, especially the end is what I'm talking about. All right, so we'll get to that. Uh, granted, I think this is really funny, but I, I don't think you're totally off base. Like, I think the primary difference between those movies and this movie is in this movie, not only is our protagonist the killer, but he's like a horrible, misogynist, ageist, unsympathetic character. So there's there's like in Dead Alive and in Evil Dead 2, I'm laughing a lot, but I still care what happens. Like I want Lionel to be okay. I want Ash to be okay. I want them to, you know, beat the zombies and save the day. I just want Lester to die. So that makes it harder for the comedy to work, I think. He is a buffoon. Indeed. The, the main theme of this film is failure. Every single thing he touches, tries to accomplish, falls apart for various reasons. And, he, you know, he confronts this woman in the bathroom, cracks her in the head. She runs out screaming. He has to chase her to the hallway, bashes her eye out. She gets up again, runs into the kitchen, and he has to finish her off there. Like, in the oven. In the oven which plays out more like what I thought was going to happen in uh, Monster Hunter that we covered just a couple episodes ago. <laughs> Her face melts like fucking wax. Probably what it is. <laughs> yeah, it looks like it's made of wax and latex. And it, when it melts away, there's just a gaping hole inside. There's no, like, bones, no... <laughs> no brain matter it's just like blackness it's uh but again like in absurd i thought it it didn't look realistic but i think they were going for realism and it looked it it looked gruesome here i think they're going for humor so yeah, I mean, of all the gore in this movie i think this is the one this is the only scene where it um is probably exaggerated away from actual damage for uh, apparently comedic effect i don't know one thing i wonder when i'm watching a movie like this is like how serious was fulci being in his other movies because i've never thought of any as comedic before but maybe he really did think they were comedic maybe i, mean, I think it's funny when like a shark fights a zombie underwater I think it's funny because of the absurdity of it, but I also think, and this has a lot to do with Fabio Frizzi's score, that it's really beautiful and artistically shot. And I'm not laughing during the scene. I, I actually think it's a really beautiful piece of filmmaking. Um, but yeah, the idea is absurd. And there's other ideas that I just always chalked up to either incompetence or like prioritizing the 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 theme over the plot but like at the end of zombie when the spanish conquistadors who have been in the ground for hundreds of years nevertheless sit up as if they're only underground a couple inches like things like that i never thought is this supposed to be funny but maybe it was but there's a subplot where there's a it, there's a guy in a dumpster like a bum with a like charlie manson tattoo in the middle of his forehead but it's not a swastika it's um did you say charlie manson 
Yeah. Charles? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Charles Manson. I think I think he went by Charlie, actually. I think that's what people who knew him called him. It just sounds kind of endearing when you're like, oh, Charlie. Ah, uh, well. Anyway, this guy's a Charles Manson lookalike, right? But what's what's tattooed on his head? What is that symbol? I'm pretty sure it's an Omega. Ah, and does that have some meaning that I don't know? It's not a swastika. Okay, well, that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> Although, you know, with Italy's history, you'd think they wouldn't really shy away from that. In the dub, his voice, the bum's voice, is almost like a like a cartoon slapstick villain voice. It's really silly. Does he sound like a serious character in the Italian version? No, like in the Italian version, all the voices sound like regular. Uh, I mean, as far as my American ears can tell, like regular sounding people. And maybe there's like inflections and in certain pronunciations and and speech patterns that are supposed to make it more ridiculous. But I don't know them because I don't speak Italian. Well, he tries to blackmail Lester because he witnessed him disposing of a body and Lester just hands him a bunch of cash but then runs him down with the car. Pretty he, violent. Yeah, well, he learned from the last lady that he killed, right? That he had to keep killing over and over again. So he runs over and backs over this body like 10 times? Uh, I don't think it's that many times, but it's about five or six. It it really gets squashed down. This is, this is not the first uh, vehicular homicide I've seen in an Italian film. Lisa and the Devil had a has a scene where a, a wife runs over her shitty husband with a car back and forth like over reverse continued probably probably like 12 15 times repeatedly and um i i don't know i feel like this was maybe some kind of theme in italian films i feel like there's more this has happened more than once wasn't there a scene in absurd where someone drove over someone's head i think there was i don't recall that uh, maybe I'm confusing it with something else, but either way, apparently the way to really kill someone with a car in Italy is to make sure it's done. You just completely pancake them. Well, see, this is what made me think that the news reports weren't real, because after this, he's watching the news and the news anchor says that the the bum survived and is working with the police on a composite sketch. Oh, you know what? The news has to be real because the ending is dependent on them being real. That's what I'm saying is confusing. It's like at this point, I said to myself, this must be a hallucination. But then at the end, a woman has actually printed off the composite sketch. So I, I really think the fact the bump survived is just supposed to be like another sign of failure or maybe even bad luck at this point for Lester, who wasn't even able to run someone over properly, despite doing it like six or seven times. It, I mean, he's, you're right that he fails at everything. He tries to pawn some of her jewelry and the pawnbroker's like, uh, it's all costume jewelry. I don't want any of this. Yeah, I, I did like that scene. Lester's like, you fucking with me? And he's like, no, I do not have time for this. Get out. <laughs> but it's obvious if you look like it, it looks I don't I know nothing about jewelry, but I can tell it's costume jewelry. It just looks like plastic Egyptian shit or something. 
Yeah. So the next woman he seduces is the one who sings. Again, I think there's a joke here we cannot understand. I don't. It worked for me. I thought it was really funny. Her her personals um her personals ad referenced the singing, but made it sound like metaphorical. That's what I thought was going to be at first. That she was metaphorically saying she wanted her like to someone to be the duet partner of her life or whatever the wording is. Um, but no, she literally sings all through sex, even in and out of her sleep. So this didn't work for you? It, it, not really, no. There was a whole lot of he him. even like slaps her to get her to stop singing, and it's like nothing happened. Nothing what, will stop this. Yeah, and it's a loud slap, like Kung, Hong Kong Kung Fu dubbing slap. And then she just starts slapping him back. There's a lot of face slapping to the music. And apparently this is okay. Yeah, I mean they have they show it shows them in bed together clearly after sex, but she's still singing. So he finds a whip to to strangle her with. Do you think this was her whip or did he bring it? I just assumed it was at the house. I mean, he he basically lives on a farm. Oh yeah, she is at his house, isn't she? Yeah. So this did not work for me. He keeps trying to, he puts her in the passenger seat of the car for some reason, and she keeps falling over. So he keeps having to adjust her. So people think that she's still alive. Yeah. I I didn't understand why he didn't just dispose of this body like normal. Instead, he pulls a whole weekend with Bernie's act, setting her up as a passenger in the car. Yeah. Maybe, Maybe what they want to show us is that because he had trouble getting the last body in the trunk, he decided to try the passenger seat. You know, that does match with like the level of decision making I'd expect from Lester. Right. Yeah. He's not the most uh, logical person. And then there's a whole routine where the cop pulls him over and is actually leaning over the dead body and writes him a ticket for speeding. Yeah, n- none of this worked for me. I-, I thought it was really silly. But in uh, but we find out during the scene on a news report that the the news have dubbed him the maniac. That was the best they could do. The best possible serial killer moniker for him was the maniac oh like what normally you just say like the location specific you know name and then killer maniac strangler i mean i guess i guess killers like like son of sam gave himself that name um the zodiac killer actually used zodiacs like i guess in other cases there's there's something we have been able to attach to them I also don't think it's, oh, I mean, this movie was made in like the late 80s, right? Um, that definitely doesn't happen anymore. Like you don't see like a, any news stories anymore about serial killers where they're like, this is this is the blah name, the blah killer. I really don't think we have this kind of serial killer anymore. Um, I think it would be too hard to be like this now. It's too easy to track us. Uh, most sociopaths nowadays just kind of stick to online trolling. I don't think they bother killing people anymore. I, I just think it's um, our lives are way too exposed now. It's it's really difficult to move around off the grid without giving yourself a, like there's a camera at the ATM. There's uh, 
camera at the register where you're swiping your credit card and then they can line that up with your credit card information and it's it's just too easy i um i specifically remember a seminar i went to years ago with a criminal it was a um criminal um like profiler where he his his own uh, opinion was that serial killers of the day only murdered because they were trying to get rid of evidence most of them were just like sexual deviants who were trying to get their rocks off in various ways that did not involve anything voluntary and so to get rid of the evidence they would just get in the habit of killing their prey killing their victims Hmm. that makes some degree of sense i'm trying to think if there's an exception to that like i mean um son of sam didn't it didn't have oh, sex yeah, with not, the victims. Not all serial killers are, um, you know, sexual predators, but yeah. I'm pretty sure there's a huge overlap. Yeah, I'm sure. Did you watch? Um, did you watch Mindhunter, that Netflix show? No. It's worth watching. It got canceled after two seasons, but it's about it's it's a semi true story of in the early days of the FBI's uh, pursuit of serial killers and. Um, actually hiring like uh, what like profilers for the first time and it it walks you through the investigation of a lot of the early serial killers like you spend a lot of time um, on the Atlanta child murders case for example it, it's an interesting show I think you'd like it but anyway back to uh, touch of death in this news report the man says that they've discovered the killer's dna they read off what's supposedly a dna sequence on the news yeah <laughs> and lester looks up and says that's mine <laughs> is, is there even such a thing is there like a five digit number that's your dna uh, no i mean I, i'm i'm not a geneticist but no <laughs> Yeah, I didn't think so. And if there was, I certainly wouldn't know mine. The the news stories keep getting more and more particular. Like later on, they start saying how they sent out packages of like all of his features to be distributed to be on the lookout for this guy. I know they send a composite sketch at one point. Time has run out for the maniac. As we announced earlier, the police, after a week of hearing contradictory testimony from several sources, have finally put together all the information concerning the killer's real face and have distributed his identikit. Yeah, his identikit. <laughs> they are distributing an identikit to the public. I don't remember if they said that in the dub or not. That is the dub. Oh, that's the dub. Okay. Yeah, this is the dub. That was totally English. <laughs> Yeah, but it's it's the same in the the subtitle. It, it's written out identikit. <laughs> like the fuck is this? <laughs> That's what led me to believe that it they couldn't be real because they were is too specific. But I don't know. Before oh. we get to our last Harris, I need to ask. Yeah, when um when he is getting personal dancing with the bearded lady. There is a portrait of, supposed portrait, of Lester's wife on the wall. Do you think she existed? Yeah. 
I think that's probably how he got any money to begin with. And it probably gave him the idea to, well, my wife's gone and I spent all her money. I need another woman to give me money. I, I think that's probably how his mind worked. You don't think he killed his wife? He may have. I, I actually think it's supposed to be like a, an in-joke that it he uses his wife's portrait as the cover for his safe. So like even in death, she is the source of his money. I thought that was clever. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this is a portrait that, he, I mean, on it, the first time you see this picture, you're like, there's something hidden behind this. Yeah, because it's the only thing on the wall. And it's very out of, it doesn't match any of the decor, which, by the way, is mostly wonderful mid-century stuff. Oh, Although, yes, his house is wonderful. He has a hideous Pepto-Bismol couch. But otherwise, I adore all his furniture. Yeah, but see, when you drip human steak fluids on it, it just blends right into the color. I suppose so. Yeah. Around this time, did you notice when he kicked the cat across the room? Yeah, he does kick his cat at some point. They, they really make Lester not likable in every possible facet. I don't. This was so slapstick that this was the funniest moment in the movie for me. I even made my wife come in and watch it. <laughs> so let's talk about the way that he meets the last woman because this is bizarre she calls him a couple of times supposedly it's the wrong number and they talk back and forth on the phone what did you think of this it makes about just as much sense as everything else in this film but i at first it was so weird that i thought i should be suspicious I thought maybe she was like a law enforcement officer or something that was trying to entrap her, entrap him, but it doesn't go that direction. Yeah, I started to think that too until um, like the end when she turned the news program on. Then it was like, oh, she's just a, you know, regular ass citizen. I even like it's even suggested. I think maybe we were supposed to think that maybe she was like maybe that was supposed to be a red herring that. It was not done well enough, but he call when she calls back the second time, he's like, look, you have the wrong number. Like, don't you find this really tedious? And she says, no, I find it amusing. And we, we see her in her room. Her bedroom is, it's equally strange. Half of her bed is covered with plates of food and magazines. Then there's a big taxidermied goose on one side and like a big glass sphere on the other side. Again, this is not any more weird than anything else. He's like, I can't talk right now because I'm, I'm dripping wet and wearing only a towel. And she says, but my ex-husband left me a very wealthy woman. Like, why would she say that unless she is trying to entrap him? So that is not the original dialogue. The original dialogue, unless there's something I'm missing here, the woman comments on Lester's voice saying how she would love to keep hearing him, that she would even pay to hear a voice like that all the time. And he says that he is expensive. And she says, that's not a problem. My ex-husband left me a lot of money. So maybe they just changed the joke up. No, or... no, that's that's right. That sounds right. I'm just glossing over it, but it still sounds as if she's overtly trying to inform him that she's wealthy. Well, maybe it's because, you know, she has cleft lip, right? So she feels like she has to put out, you know, other uh, sources of value and attractiveness in order to rein in 
you know, golden voiced Lester. And they really try to emphasize this lip. Like anytime Lester's with her, the camera just lingers on the lip, which does do a good job of like showing us he's distracted by it. But also like it doesn't, I don't even think it looks as bad when it's, we just see it as opposed to when she puts makeup on it. I think that's, that's the point, right? Just to make it look as gross as possible. Yeah. I think they're trying. Like but, beyond reason, like there's no, <laughs> there's no logic in how these people are like presenting themselves. Like if you were a woman with like that kind of like beard from earlier, you would uh, probably make it one of your life's goals to make sure that uh, it never sees the light of day. Especially if you're actively trying to date by putting personal ads in the newspaper. Yeah. But they very quickly develop a relationship. And she's even telling him she loves him after what seems like a matter of days, that he's making her life so much better. And he's always at her house with the big pool and the maid. In the midst of this uh, joyous relationship, she tells him that he needs to tell her everything. Anything that's wrong, any problem he has because he's been looking a little down, he needs to be open with her. So she said, or he tells her that he really needs money, that he made bad investments in the stock market. And if he doesn't pay it back soon, he's ruined. And at first she tells him, well, you can get a loan. And he said, that's not what he wanted to hear. <laughs> he says, he says he doesn't have any collateral. Um, so she tells him that she'll make a loan, but he has to put his house up for collateral, which again is not I don't think what he wanted to hear. But he goes through with it. Yeah, but see, all of this, all of this, her like negotiating with him, which seems really weird in this relationship after she just told him that she loves him and she can't live without him. That made me think that she was a, a cop, that she was investigating him. Well, it's one thing to say, I love you. It's another thing to co-sign. Yeah, but that this could all be an entrapment scheme. Oh, yeah, that would be that would have been some poetic justice, right? The last Harris is trying to pull a Lester on Lester. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, it doesn't go that way. That's what I thought. Well, where I thought it was going. Undercover police and she ain't Shane a Lester in disguise. But uh, she does end up pulling a gun on him and she shows him that she recorded the news and that there's a composite sketch that looks just like him. And she's already called the police. Well, it also didn't help that he was approaching her with a knife while her eyes were closed. It, it's not a knife. It's the it's the claws or it's the pliers that you use to clean lobster claws because that's what they were having, lobster. Right, right. And then there's a whole weird emphasis on the shadow and him talking to the shadow or the shadow is talking to him and saying this is the end of the line for us and at least the pain won't last very long. This is after he's been shot in the chest three times. Yeah. And As you can imagine, Lester does not negotiate very well under gunpoint. No. No, that's the end. Says the end. I mean, I guess she could have been uh, in some sort of insider and we didn't know. I don't think she would have just shot him like that and then left him to wander out around and die. <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. Strange, right? Because Lester starts asking his shadow, you know, were you sabotaging me the whole time? And, you know, the shadow is, is very um, evasive about the issue. 
So maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. And then the shadow starts to starts to describe very somberly like what he can expect as he's dying from blood loss. And it's not comedic at all. It's not I don't think it's trying to be. Yeah, it's really hard to know what it's trying to be. I mean, maybe you can say the ending is like absurd because it has no meaning, right? And it like flies in the face of convention. Like we're not given any sort of closure. We're not given, you know, any sort of catharsis about what happens after Lester dies. Like you would think maybe we'd get like a follow up with the last Harris where she'd be like, wow, you know, I fucking dodged a bullet there. Nope. This entire movie is from Lester's point of view, which also makes it hard to know what's real and what's not. Like, I don't think we see a scene without him in it. Mm, yeah, no, he's in every single scene. Yeah, so, I mean, the entire movie could be a hallucination. We we just don't know. Well, like some American psycho shit? Yeah. He wasn't actually killing people? But then we like, how do you explain the end, right? Yeah. All right, let's get into final thoughts and rate this thing out of four. Well, I think I've made it pretty clear at this point i wasn't really the biggest fan of this film maybe i'm just not a late fulci kind of guy because um i would say this this and um enigma were probably the worst of of the, the films i've experienced from his catalog i didn't quite think this movie was as funny as luke did but uh, maybe that's just because i don't really have um a, a tendency to enjoy foreign comedies for reasons that you, you can probably analyze the shit out of humor, but then you kill it. It's not fun and nobody really likes to do it. But either way, it just didn't work for me. The gore scenes are actually really well done, as you'd expect from a Fulci film, from an Italian film. But they just there's just this weird tug of war between the movie trying to say, hey, don't take me seriously. This is a gory comedy. And then on the other side, it's like, hey, Here's some deep introspection as, into like why Lester is acting the way he does. Maybe he doesn't know what he's doing, doesn't know how he found himself in this situation. Is this really Lester doing all these shitty things? I don't know. I, I think that the main theme to this movie is failure. If you are a big fan of watching people just face plant and fuck up everything they do in their lives then this is probably the film for you if you also want to see a bunch of gore and ugly make up the women be seduced for their money yeah that just isn't it this isn't it didn't hit it didn't land for me so i'm gonna i'm gonna rate this probably like one and a half stars i don't know it's not quite one star but i, I just feel like there's so much that missed the mark here yeah, so I certainly don't think this is a, a good movie, but it is really funny to me, and that that goes a long way for me. Like, my sense of humor is very hard to hit. It it either has to be really, like, satirical and clever and witty or really absurdly ridiculous. And this film hits the latter. And I love things like chopping off the feet so he can shove her in the trunk. And when you think that she's dead because her eye has rolled out and she pops up anyway and they have a chase through the house. Like that stuff's really funny to me. The kicking the cat was hysterical. So 
I'm willing to forgive a lot if you can make me laugh as much as this movie did. But I totally recognize that that's just my own subjective sense of humor and like humor is a weird thing. To get to the negatives, I think this movie's really unclear with what exactly is going on mentally with Lester. Like how much of this is real and what's the deal with the shadow and does he have multiple personalities? Is one of them doing the killing and the other one is surprised? Like we just don't know. I think there's borderline misogyny here, which makes me a little uncomfortable. I think we go a bit overboard in mocking the women um, or Fulci, you know, makes us makes the film go overboard in mocking the women. But I, I he's certainly not praising the men in the movie like everybody's being mocked. So in that sense, I guess it's kind of an equal opportunity offender. I think the gore scenes are really well done. Um, they don't have the artistry, the sort of poetry that his that some of his more famous gore scenes do, but they still look really brutal and effective, but they're also over the top. Still, it, it misses some moments where it could have been even funnier, could have been more effective. So um, I think this is worth seeing, especially if you're a Fulci fan or you're a fan of horror comedies or you're just curious about like what Italian horror looked like in the early 90s, especially, you know, stuff that went straight to TV or straight to video. I think this is a good example uh, for better or worse. I'm going to give it two stars. All right, let's consult the Magic 8-Ball and see what we're going to watch next week. So next week, we're doing a movie that Leland introduced me to, a 90s British shot-on-video movie called GBH. Oh, gosh, it's time. Grievous Bodily Harm. I had never heard of this movie, and I have never seen anyone in the horror community or shot-on-video fans discuss it. That that is an oversight. This movie deserves to be seen and discussed. I don't know if I'd call this a horror film. There is horror to be found, I think. It is a horrific <laughs> it is a horrific spectacle in many ways. But it is not the genre. And no, but it's certainly tangential to our podcast and uh we we delve into some non horror territory at times. Yeah, I, I don't know why this movie's not talked about. It I don't think it's ever gotten an official release in the United States, but you can see it on YouTube. And um you really ought to if you have not, and you're at all a fan of this genre of shot on video movies, of absurdity, of silly action, of nineties flicks and in specific or British flicks. Uh yeah. It, I, th I would recommend this movie to a wide variety of people. This is a shot on video Euro crime that is essentially a one man show. One savant wrote, directed, composed and starred in this film. Yeah, 
so we'll leave it there for this week, but I'm I'm pumped to talk about it. This is another one that cracks me up from beginning to end. And it's on YouTube. Yep. So everyone go and check out GBH. And in the meantime, you can follow us on Instagram at video.store.nightmares, where I post everything we do. And Leland, you have any last words? Thank you for your continued support. And we will talk with you all next week about GBH, Grievous Bodily Harm.